podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Staffordshire University's Performing Under Pressure podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Paul Mansell. I'm pleased today to be joined by my co-host, Professor Matt Slater. How are you doing, Matt? Hi, Paul. Good, thank you. Do you want to just uh, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to recently? Uh, yes. Yeah, don't want to take up too much of uh, time. But yeah, having a lot of fun being busy as ever recently, which is good. Yeah, one of the one of the days that we did a month or so ago was working with a, a regional business, an education business, looking at psychology of leadership, looking at how we can develop their leadership skills, but also look at kind of developing a sense of togetherness, belonging, and a little bit around resilience as well. So yeah, that was really cool to put on a day for them, working with around 30 of their individual employees, which was good, lots of interactive things done, lots of fun had. So yeah, it's a little bit what I've been up to. Great. Well, it's great to have you back on the show. And really, really delighted today to be joined by ex-professional footballer, a man who's represented the golden black of my beloved Wolverhampton Wanderers, and try and remember the clubs here, Scunthorpe, Oxford, Sheffield Wednesday, Derby, Burton Albion, might be missing one or two here, but 2014 League Two Golden Boot winner, PFA Team of the Year in 2014, welcome to the show, Sam Winnell. Thank you very much. That was some introduction. Yeah. I know there was a lot of clubs to uh, to name, but you, you did pretty well. You Didn't miss off, any out. You missed off Barnsley, which was Barnsley. probably my best best time of my career as well. But uh, but no, you did well tonight. Remember those. Brilliant. Well, appreciate you coming in to join us today. I guess we're here to talk about, not so much about your career, but your perceptions of performing under pressure. But before we delve into that too much, let's just ask a little question about what, you, what you're getting up to in your spare time. And also, what's your guilty pleasure? My spare time, nine times out of ten, is dominated by golf. Spend a lot of time on the golf course. I did whilst I was playing, and then in the last kind of five months since I've decided to kind of call it a day with football, I've spent even more time on the golf course. You could say that's a guilty pleasure as well, because that's what my missus would probably say, and my my little son. But no, I mean, I've really kind of committed to improving with golf this year. I've seen a little bit of results in that at the same time, because I've got my handy cap down for you quite a lot this year but I, I love it I love every part of it I love the fact it's competitive I love the fact it's competitive with myself as well not just other people I love actually trying to better myself at the same time and it's just a good way to spend four hours isn't it you know getting out on the co- on the course and hitting a few balls brilliant so what's your handicap that you're playing off now it's actually gone up in the last couple of days it's gone back up to 1.9 so <laughs> yeah that's some serious yeah yeah, I mean, I started the year. At, I started the year at about four point eight. So I was, I was doing okay, to be honest, before at the start of the year. But then this year, I think I've had nearly sixty rounds, done quite a lot of practice as well. So I've got it down to, you know, one point nine. I got it down to one point three. Wow. To be fair, I had my first level level par round as well this year, which was like a real milestone for someone who's, yeah, yeah. you know, who is passionate about golf. That was good. So yeah, I just just need to keep going now. The winter cut has kind of killed it. Having the uh, the kind of sunlight that that's that's your enemy isn't it now is the the dark nights as a as as a aspiring golfer mm-hmm. so but no i love it absolutely love it well please feel free to bring in some of the golf into the discussion today i mean obviously we're interested in your experiences of performing under pressure in front of thousands of people playing football mm. but equally the golf has its own demands so 
feel free to talk about that. Absolutely. I will do. Don't you know, I won't need a second invitation, don't worry. And speaking of performing under pressure, people throw that phrase around a fair bit. But what's your understanding of that that term, performing under pressure? It's a, it's a good question. I think it's more expectation is like that's all what pressure kind of comes in. I mean, is, is what your expectations are, whether the high, low, you know, whether that's from other people, whether that's from yourself. It can come from different avenues. My kind of my kind of understanding was it was always it, from a young kid was how much expectation I put on myself and how much pressure that I put on myself. I was my own biggest fan, but own biggest critic at the same time. And I'd go into every kind of day, whether it be training or every match, you know, on a Saturday or in the week, whatever it was. And the most amount of pressure would come from myself because I'd always have that expectation to to score, essentially. As a striker, that was all I ever wanted to do, was just score goals. I never kind of put too much pressure on my performance. I thought that would always take care of itself. But the pressure for me always came on on scoring goals. So kind of a self-imposed pressure, and it's very much based around numbers, goals. Mm. Yeah, statistics really. And as as silly as it sounds, it's quantifiable, isn't it? It makes it so much easier to kind of understand where you're at. And that's kind of the beauty of being a striker as well, is that you get judged on your goals. That no one really, you know, mentions those strikers who score five, six, seven goals a season, but play well every week. You know, there's a need for them and there's there's always going to be a role for those type of strikers. But the ones that get kind of talked about are the ones who score 20 a season, you know, we year in year out and and that was always something that I always just wanted to focus on was never really performance because I felt as if training and and kind of that would take care of itself you know the more I train the more I work my performance to take care of itself the thing I cared about was was scoring goals nice cool Um, and just to pick up on that in a little bit more detail was that something you kind of enjoyed so that kind of pressure that you put on yourself or that expectation as you talk about it is Mm -hmm. that something you enjoyed through your career and something that kind of helped or hindered you do you think I think it's I think it was different in different places I think for instance when I was at Barnsley and I was kind of like the main man knew I was going to play everyone was like looking at me to score the goal I thrived on that and I actually wanted more pressure like Mm -hmm. I actually went into games thinking that like I hope we I hope we're in a period where we're struggling so then when I score the goal it it can kind of like take the pressure off everyone. Like I actually loved that pressure. But then the pressure when you're, say, playing and you might not be playing next week and your actual position in the team is up for, you know, is up for grabs for somebody else, then it's a completely different pressure then. And I actually didn't like that pressure. Mm-hmm. I felt as if like, okay, I've got to score to stay in the team. Mm-hmm. That was a completely different pressure to I've got to st- I've got to score to help this team succeed Mm -hmm. and I know they're very they're quite similar but Mm -hmm. for me it felt very different and I always preferred that look I know I'm going to play so I'll be I'm happy to be the main man and take the weight of everybody's kind of stresses on my shoulders Mm -hmm. but I didn't like the pressure of thinking well if I don't score I'm I'm not going to play next week Mm -hmm. sure yeah that makes sense and and what's kind of been the main influences in terms of how you've had that perception of pressure do you think through your kind of through your career maybe from your academy days but mm. to more recent times I think for me it was always as a kid it was like it was probably like my dad if I'm going to be totally honest it was like we, he would always just talk to me about scoring goals I mean he, we, we laugh about it now like when, when I 
first, I think I was about three, you know, first went football training at this club. He was like, just stand by that goal and when it comes near you, just kick the ball in the net. And like, it was a, such a simple message to be passed down. But like from that period, it was like, that was the, the message that I took through with me till last year mm-hmm. was just stay as close to the other goal as you can and when it comes near you kick it in the net mm-hmm. as simple as that and I I kind of took that with me all the way through and then when I didn't do it it was always like oh, I'm, I'm disappointed that I haven't scored today or you know if I missed a chance was it like okay like I'm disappointed I've missed the opportunity to score a goal but you know what's when's the next opportunity going to come mm-hmm. and it was just always about that focus of scoring goals mm-hmm. sure and just to pick up on that in, in a little bit more detail, how did you cope with the periods where you, you know, maybe didn't score many goals? You said there that you, you know, maybe respond to that not great performance by not scoring by saying, well, when's my next opportunity? Was that something you were able to maintain all the time? Or was that difficult to do when you had like maybe a particular long period where you didn't score? Mm. I mean, I've, I've been quite fortunate. When I've played regularly, I've never really gone through a goal drought. And that's from like from when I joined Wolves at 11 up until last year like I've never really done that like, which is quite lucky the times where I've gone through goal drafts have been when I've not been in the team mm-hmm. and so I think the focus changes a little bit there the focus is like right get myself in the team established in the team because then once I was in the team I knew that I'd score goals mm-hmm. I just I have everywhere I've gone and I knew that once I was in the team and consistent in the team I would get myself into positions to score goals mm-hmm. I think I went through one period when I was about 17, when I'd kind of just turned, signed my scholar terms at Wolves. Yeah. And I remember I was in the team, but I think I probably went like three or four months without scoring a goal. Mm-hmm. And it was like completely alien to me. Didn't really know mm-hmm. what, why or anything like that. And that was, that was probably, that was probably the toughest part of my academy days, really, if I'm going to be mm-hmm. totally honest, just because I was like, I'm in, a te- I'm, I'm in the team, I know I'm not going to lose my place in the team and my performances are, are good, but I'm not scoring. And that affected me way more than times where I've been not playing well, like my performance has been rubbish, but I've been scoring goals. So mm-hmm. it was interesting for me. It was, a, it was a tough period because, like I say, I'd been so used to scoring goals all, all through the younger ages of the academy that once I'd got to this period, it was eye-opening. Cool. We talk a lot about kind of finding your method I suppose, of, of dealing with pressure, finding your method to maximise performance. It strikes me that kind of one of your methods, it sounds like, to perform under pressure is to like really hone in on your strengths. Mm. And you talked a lot about, you know, scoring goals and not a lot about the rest of your game, but that's what you're focusing on. You know that's your strength and therefore that's helping you, it sounds like, to deal with the expectations to perform week in, week out. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it. Is It was that focus and finding that what that focus is. Mine was scoring goals and I knew that if I my focus switched to kind of thinking, and this is quite selfish, if my focus kind of switched to, okay, help the team, mm-hmm. then that affected my performance. And I kind of learned that at an early age that mm-hmm. I need to first look at look after myself and I need to put my own kind of focuses and needs first to be a good part of a team because I, I knew that if, if I scored the team was going to the, the team were going to benefit if I didn't score the team were going to probably be not benefit yeah, yeah. you know so I, I at an early age I learned to be quite selfish mm-hmm. and could think right well obviously the team is important but the team will benefit if I put myself first and focus on what I want to do, which is which is score goals. Sure. 
yeah, it's, it's kind of roll clarity, isn't it? We come mm. back to that a lot. I think, you know, in terms of trying to put great teams together, yeah, it sounds like you had that like great laser focus on what your role clarity was, and and equally, everyone within the team would understand that's your role, and you would understand what their role was. Yeah, and that's where you're in a good space, I suppose. That's it. Is it's, it's uh, it sounds you hear it a lot, especially in sports commentary. And it's they talk about like eleven individuals, like mm-hmm. and and you don't and that's that shouldn't be encouraged. You don't want that. Mm-hmm. But like if you've got eleven individuals doing their role really, really well, understanding their role really, really well, like is how could that how could that harm a team? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I, I, maybe that's a striker's p- point of view. But I knew that like if my fullback was defending crosses and was not letting his winger get past him, then attacking wise was putting crosses in for us, and he did that every like for 90 minutes I knew that that would be good for the team same with the centre half same with the centre back same with the centre midfielder so it was like I my f- kind of philosophy with football was always like yeah you want that cohesion but if you get everybody doing their role properly and not trying to do other people's roles mm-hmm. there's no confusion there's simplicity there's clarity like you say it's only going to help the team mm-hmm. but there was some, obviously you'd always get people who who disagree with that yeah but I always thought was that because they wanted to fall back on the kind of reason that you had 10 other people to help you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, is that a lack of responsibility in a way? Mm-hmm. I didn't. I never wanted to look at it like that way. I wanted to look like I'm going to take responsibility for me. Mm-hmm. And if I do my job, you do yours, we'll be successful. Sure. Fab. Yeah, it's really refreshing to hear this different perspective. You always mm. hear about players talking about the team first. But I like what you said. If I'm doing my job well ultimately the team do benefit from that anyway that's coming out really loud and clear Mm. um what i'm interested in next is you've played for some really big clubs thirty thousand capacity stadiums molyneux hillsborough and so on and you would have had access to some really great coaching have you had access to people who have helped you perform under pressure be that a coach be it somebody else in the game have have people taken you to one side and focused on your ability to perform under pressure not as much as I should have had, is what I'd, I'd say. Especially in my in the younger days, especially definitely not in the academy, and that that was probably when it was most vital. And then maybe it was a generational thing when I first started playing football professionally that it wasn't something that was focused on very much, or if it was, it was kind of overlooked for more important things. You know, like silly as it sounds when I first started it was all about sports science it was all about you know staying getting as strong as you can and then as football kind of evolved it became about data so it became about like you know how far are you running what can we track what's your VO2 max you know what's your sprints per game what's your V5 distance etc now it seems as if people are starting to take a more kind of evolved route of thinking right well how can we how can we train a brain? Your brain is your nucleus, isn't it, of your, of your whole body and your body will not work without it. So how can we get the most out of a brain? And it's it kind of takes generations and new people coming into like sport and the industry to kind of take us down that direction. So I'm, I, I feel a little bit a little bit as if I've missed out on that side of things that, okay, say if I would have had somebody, like I say, an easy access sports psychologist or psychotherapist, whatever, within that kind of industry, would I have benefited from it long term? You know, if I'd have had it at an early age, absolutely, I would have. I would have looked at things so much differently, been more 
kind of informed and aware of the importance of it. So no, to answer your question, no, not not as much as I would would have liked. And now looking back retrospectively, I think that's something I definitely missed out on, which I hope we, the younger players of today, get that opportunity. Yeah, you gave a really interesting insight there. I think you used the phrase quantifiable. Mm. And I think perhaps that's why the sports science has kind of superseded psychology in the past because you could measure people's outputs. It's quite hard to measure to some extent people's psychological performance under pressure. But it sounds like hopefully now it's it's creeping into the game more because ultimately it can make people, you know, fulfil their potential. Mm. I think you're right. I think the thing is that's kind of what, the way I see it is that that's kind of the the evolution that we had to have within football was kind of get the quantifiables done first. So like now everybody does the data, everybody does the sports science things. Like like players now, especially at the top level, have absolutely everything to make their physical body as fit and as sustainable as possible. So like once everybody's doing that, it's like well what what what's going to give us the next edge? Do you know what I mean? And like, I think people, especially the younger coaches and the kind of football clubs that are trying to be a bit revolutionary, they're understanding that right. the next edge is kind of like the brain. It's like sports psychology, dealing with pressure, dealing with when things off the field aren't going so well. How's your well-being? Like there's loads of different aspects to it, which is kind of now looking, coming to the forefront of how we get the next two, three, four percent on the other teams. And I think that will grow over the next few years as well. So if people weren't necessarily helping you to perform under pressure psychologically in your career, what kind of things were you doing yourself to allow you to be the top goal scorer in the league and so on? And I think one of your answers, you've probably already said you focused on your role. Mm. But what kind of things were you doing the night before a match, on the morning of, immediately before kickoff? What kind of strategies were you employing to put yourself in a good place to perform well it was it was just all about consistency for me just trying to be as consistent as possible and do the same thing and some people see it as superstitions I never kind of saw it as superstitions because I never thought okay if I don't do this I'm not going to play well I just saw it as like trying to be consistent all the time so like for instance my kind of like build up to a game when I knew I was playing was started after training on a Friday so like say 20 just over 24 hours before the game started and then it was like trying to be as consistent as possible from there so like after training do the same thing when I get in was normally go to sleep because <laughs> I liked having a nap after training mm-hmm. then it was about like having the right amount of, the right amount of food the right food mm-hmm. the right amount of liquids and, and hydration kind of thing go to bed at the same time wake up at the same time and then have the same kind of routine in the for a Saturday morning leading up to a game at three o'clock and I just tried to do that all the time because I thought well if I can stay as consistent as possible there's not as going to be as many variables that will affect performance or perfect my ability to score score goals and I just tried to keep it as simple as possible as well not try and overcomplicate it because I think I saw so many footballers that are like try this try that like night before a game and, and I'd just be like just just keep it as simple as possible believe in the fact that you've trained all week and that you're ready for this game on, on, on your Saturday and just do what you need to do do what eat right drink right sleep right tomorrow will take care of itself so routine, routine is key and what's key for you. And just those minutes, say the, the half an hour, so you've been out and done your warm-up, it's 10 to 3. Mm. What, what were you like in the dressing room before a match? Were you the kind of player that, 
that wanted to be really psyched, like mm. bouncing off the off the ceiling, or were you the kind of player that just wanted to be sat still, collecting your thoughts? What were you like in those ten minutes before the bell would go and you had to line up mm. in the tunnel? I was probably somewhere in, in the middle, to be honest. I was never that. I was never that player that was shouting and screaming in the dressing room, trying to like raise the the kind of decibel level. Like that for me, I always thought was pointless. But I was never the person that just wanted to sit and be on their own. I was more. I always had the belief of quality communication rather than just shouting random cliches out, you know. Mm-hmm. And you, we've been in dressing rooms, honestly. <laughs> There's so many of them, you know, they, these cliches. And it's and like they used to make me cringe a little bit mm-hmm. when people did it because I was thinking, who are you doing this for? Are you doing this for yourself? Are you doing this for others? Yeah. But like my kind of attitude was always about quality communication going up to the players that I wanted to go speak to them you know see where they're at say like oh you know in this situation in the game do this I'll be there whatever and just try and be as informed as possible with where they're at and let them know where I'm at at the same time so it was like I'd be trying to talk to I'd probably try and speak to every other 10 other the 10 other players on the on the team and just say like look this is where I'm at this is what I'm going to do this is what I'll need from you keep it brief only I need it to be like a minute you know a minute 30 seconds whatever and that's what I try and do and get around every single person and just be like like I say quality over quantity with communication excellent and in the pursuit of performing under pressure mistakes are inevitable as a striker I'm sure you can think back and there's chances that you've where you've missed a sitter and so on Maybe you were the penalty taker as well? Yeah, I missed a couple of penalties, yeah. yeah. So to get yourself back on track after missing a sitter or missing a penalty, what kind of stuff were you doing in your head so that you could try and put the next chance away? Mm. It's difficult. It's, it's probably That was always the hardest thing for me, was that if I missed that first chance that I had, you know, it was difficult to bounce back. I'll be totally honest. That definitely a million percent affected my performance in mm. terms of like, how I played within the game not so much my goal scoring ability I used to try and separate the two but my actual performance on the pitch definitely suffered if I'd missed an early chance and then it was just about believing that another chance had come and that like it it was amazing the amount of times like if I look back now and actually think I missed that first chance and then I I went probably 10-15 minutes of playing terribly I then had another chance scored the next chance and then like after that played really well and it was just like that's how my brain worked. It was like I judged everything on on goals, and if if I'd scored or not, and if I ever missed a chance, like it did, it, it affected me. You know, it it put me off. Not like I say, but I always believed the next time the chance came, I would I would score. So like my, my kind of perception of my conversion rate with scoring a goal. That never really got. That never really hampered. Do you know what I mean? I always felt as if, look, okay, I've missed one. I missed it. I missed three. But on the fourth, if the if the fourth comes, I'm gonna, I, I will score. The problem came was when if the fourth chance never came and I finished a game and I'd missed three chances, like that would affect me. That would that would affect me away from football. I'd go home and on like a Saturday night, I'd be, I'd be pissed off. I wouldn't speak to anyone. I remember we played. Great example of this was I actually played against Wolves so we were um, I was at Barnsley we'd just been promoted into the into the champion, championship and one of the first games we played Wolves at Molyneux we, we won 4-0 oh was that that game was it, was it the <laughs> that game? was a real low point yeah. in my Wolves well, sporting we, career <laughs> I must admit that we were really good like, yeah, considering we'd come up considering yeah. we'd come up the year before like we hit the ground running in the champ and we like by the time I left I think we were just outside the playoffs so we were massively overachieving as, as a small team small club but played at Molyneux 
And I, I actually played quite well, but I missed like three chances. Mm-hmm. And we won 4 0. And like all my friends were at the game, all my family were at the game. Mm-hmm. After the game, I didn't speak to no one. Went home, well, went back to my mum and dad's because they, they were still in Wolverhampton at the time. I was living up in Leeds. Went back to my mum and dad's, didn't speak to anyone, just went and sat in my room. And like, we just won 4 0. No one could understand it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, but yeah. like to me, I'd missed three chances and like good chances that I'd back myself to have scored. And I was really really affected by it mm-hmm. and I was I was really lucky that on the Saturday after that we played Preston away and I scored and I kind of think and I scored in the first like 10 minutes which like kind of like really took that kind of that bad feeling I was having around like bad feeling I was having took that away and then I forgot about it then do you know what I mean and just looked forward but yeah that was that's a perfect example of what we were trying to say yeah it's a really interesting example and I've heard other quotes from strikers like Ruud van Nistelrooy where Man United have won 2 or 3 nil. He's missed a chance and everyone else is buzzing on the bus and he's mm. he's gutted. Mm-hmm. So would that in that kind of scenario did it affect you for a few days then or or, or were you okay the next day or Yeah, probably for a few days. For me then it was all then I used to just like bury myself into training so like not so it, say if I like for, use that that example say that it was a Tuesday night we'd be off on the Wednesday back in training Thursday like it would be light as well but then I'd do just I'd just do finishing after 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 training so I'd just do I'd do I don't know 50 shots and I'd just bury myself into finishing 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 and just get used to that feeling of hitting the net again and that would kind of that would take away the that kind of negative feeling that I was having and give me a little bit more belief because I I used to in training I'd train finishing the way I'd play a game like if I missed a chance I would be gutted even in training like I wouldn't think oh there's the next ball I can do it within 30 seconds if I ever missed I'd be I'd be gutted straight away and it was always always about like that expectation I'd put on myself like I was referring to so then I'd bury myself into training but it wouldn't really really go until I'd score on a Saturday or I'd score a game. But once I'd score, forgotten all about and I didn't care. So it was, yeah, goals were my, missing chances was my curse, but scoring goals was the cure. Yeah. It's a good way of putting mm. it. And what about as thinking back to your career when a teammate, say you weren't the penalty taker and you your strike partner was and they missed a penalty, what kind of things would you do to help help them get back on track because mm. you said earlier about you know if people are each doing their individual job then the team play better were you the kind of player that would pass on advice during a match or in training or between matches or did you kind of just leave people to it no I was I was very vocal from, and from an early age as well even when like like we referred to when I was at Scunthorpe I was 22 when I joined at Scunthorpe but like, I was a, kind of a senior member in that squad so although I wasn't kind of had age on my kind of side like the lads actually respected what I was saying like they actually understood that if I was saying stuff to people it it made sense I was always I was very selfish as a footballer in terms of like my my needs were only met if I was scoring goals like 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 you were referring to Ruud van Nistelrooy wins never did it for me really if I'm going to totally honest winning was great I I enjoyed it if I'd scored winning if I hadn't scored give or take not really bothered Mm. Same with like as silly as it sounds. Same with promotions. Like one or I got promoted twice. One at Wembley twice. I didn't score in either of the games. So 
they they felt great and it was a great experience for me loved it like seeing like how everyone came together in front of 70,000 fans like that was a special feeling but it wasn't the same as scoring a goal that was completely different completely different entity for me but I was very I, I feel as if I was a good teammate I was a massive moaner like massive moaner if someone hadn't passed to me when they should have passed to me I'd moan and like I'd let people know if they'd done something which I didn't ag- agree with I did that from an early age as well even with senior players but when someone did something well I would give them so much praise like as much praise as anyone else on that pitch so I kind of like and I, I, I used to tell people that I'd say look I am a moaner I, I apologise but no one's no one's going to be a bigger fan too either mm-hmm. so it's like I could be both ends of the spectrum a little bit and as I got older I became more inclined to give out praise and the understanding that like especially in today's generation of football footballers they need praise footballers especially now it's not the same, the same way it was when I was still growing up and people needed like a rocket up the bum to get them motivated football's different now people need praise people need love people need an arm around them and it you know it took years for me to understand that and as I got older I'd, I did learn to that and I'd take younger lads under my wing and I'd be like look made him say don't I don't care I want you to try again as long as you're trying to do the right thing I don't care if you make a mistake just keep trying to do the right thing but when you start doing the wrong thing and making the wrong decisions that's when I'm going to be on you you know and I think younger lads really kind of understood that and kind of respected that from me as well thinking that like okay standards are high but if I do if I'm trying to do the right thing he'll never never give me a kind of give me a hard time mm-hmm. It was all about kind of the decision-making process for me. It was like, if you're making the right decision, but your execution's wrong, I've got no, absolutely no issues whatsoever. But if you're making the wrong decision and then your execution's wrong as well, like, I'm going to be on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm going to let you know about it's that. Though, Maybe, yeah. I mean, some, some people took well to it. Some people didn't. You know, I think it come down to the different personalities that you'd have within a squad. Do you know what I mean? And it... And sometimes you come down to frequency. Like I play with players that I believed made the wrong decisions over and over again. So I found myself moaning at them over and over again. And then it's becoming like, well, Sam, have you got a vendetta about against this guy? And I'm like, no, I just I think he's decision making and what he thinks is the right thing to do. I think that's wrong. That's not what I think football should be. Mm-hmm. If you know, and that's where you can cause a bit of issue. But mm-hmm. that only happened a handful of times, really. How would you, I'm jumping in here, sorry, a little bit. I just, I just wonder how um, how kind of coaches would kind of perceive that, not just that negative example that you're given, but generally it sounds like you're, you're showing great, you know, leadership there. But how did that kind of fit with kind of coaches over your career? Again, it was varied. Yeah. I, you know, some coach, like we had uh, the coach that we got promoted with at Barnsley, Paul Heckingbottom, who's mm. at Sheffield United now. He loved it. Like he he loved every minute of it. Minute of it. He, there was a couple of players that we had in that team that had similar kind of philosophy and similar like way of dealing on a pitch as me. And he kind of saw us as his leaders on the pitch. He saw us as like the coaches on the pitch. And he, we believed in what he was saying and he believed that we'd deliver the message properly. So he absolutely loved it. But then I've come across other managers and I'm, I, I'm not going to name names, but I've come across other managers that hated it, that saw it as like that we were taking control away from them and that like they had a way of playing hit so this manager had a way of playing a philosophy, a philosophy of football and that we were delivering a different message and hated it and even if it was working what we were saying 
their kind of ego didn't like the fact that someone else was kind of delivering a successful message to the team. Mm-hmm. And that's where it became difficult because someone like me, I need to be like that. I can't be someone who's just silent on a pitch. Like I've, I've never been that. I, I can't do that. So that's where it become a problem for me. And that might have added to why certain managers didn't pick me. You know, and and I'm happy to live with that because I'm true to myself. I'm 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 staying like kind of congruent in the sense that like I know what my strengths are. I know the type of person I am. Yeah. If people want me, great. If people don't like me and don't pick me well. I'm not going to change for them. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. although it was probably came at a detriment and I wasn't as adaptable as, as, as I should have been, I'm still happy in the sense I stayed true to who I was. Sure. Yeah. Authenticity, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Stay true to your values and things. And yeah, fascinating. Yeah, example of a good culture, I think, in our eyes, that I think, mm. where you've got... So often in leadership, we think about just the person with the formal title, so just a coach and a captain. Mm. But it's much more than that in terms of everyone can step into leadership and, and show it. Absolutely, yeah. There's there's so many different... It's 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 all about respect, isn't it? It's, it's about if you're respected, you know. Like I had, I played under some captains that I had no respect for, and that if they were telling me something, I'd just be like look, I'm not going to argue with you because I think that's detrimental, but I'm not going to listen to you either. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just going to just, whatever you say is going to go in one ear out the other. But then I had some players who went, had no kind of interest in being a captain that were really introverted, really quiet. But then when they did spoke, I valued it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. It, it, it can be, like you say, it can come from different avenues. Mm. Cool. Kind of bringing us back to performing under pressure a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit about how maybe the skills you developed performing under pressure as an elite footballer, how that can help in like other ventures. Maybe you can bring in golf here if you want to, mm-hmm. but like the other ventures that you've, you know, embarked on, on your life and or you want to go on to in your life going forward. Mm. Yeah, I, I will talk about golf actually because golf's actually that I'm feeling as if this is where I'm kind of need to improve is because like when I'm playing like with with my mates mm. like genuinely I'm shooting really low but then when I go into competitions I'm I'm going still shooting well but not as good so mm. like it's kind of working out what that what that is mm-hmm. and it's, it has to be something psychological like my, my technique is still the same but psychologically I'm not scoring as well as in competitions as I am when I'm playing with my mates for mm-hmm. for a, a pint afterwards mm-hmm. and I think I think it is that it is that that pressure side of things and it's like with football I had so much supreme belief in that I would score goals no matter what that like that took the pressure off a little bit whereas now with golf I know I'm quite quite good but I haven't got that same supreme belief that those six seven foot seven foot puts Mm -hmm. to save par that I'm going to roll it in every single time Mm -hmm. now when I'm with my mates I'll just walk up to it won't even line it up boom rattle it in back of the cup then in competitions i'm like looking at the, the, the looking at the green looking at the you know the 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 lie looking at the, the line and stuff like that and i'm thinking right okay i'm really thinking about it and then i'm missing the putt mm. and it's like like you know it's finding that balance and that confidence a little bit in mm. terms of like i know i can do this i know that if i just walk up to it and rattle it, it might it's going to go in yeah. but it's again when when there's when it matters it's it becomes a different entity yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think perhaps being curious about how you can apply that same kind of free, fun mindset consistently with your mates, applying it consistently in competition mm. can be quite cool. Because you've talked a lot about consistency for your, you know, preparing to play football mm. and, and thinking about bringing that in maybe for your golf. 
perhaps yeah no absolutely I mean routine is a massive you speak to like I, mm. I don't know if you've had a chance to speak to golfers but you speak to yeah. golfers when things are going wrong they just refer straight back to their routine yeah. Yeah. you look at I saw I actually saw a, an interview with Matt Fitzpatrick yesterday that's funny enough mm. he was talking about his putts mm. and he was saying since he was like 15 he's had the exact same routine with his putts mm. so then when push comes to shove and there is pressure like he had at the Ryder Cup he doesn't feel it as much because it's like well he's going to do the same thing he's going to take the same amount of practice swings same amount of looks at the, the hole same amount of breaths yeah. leading up to it so that like he can fall back on that mm-hmm. when he when he's not playing well he can always fall back on his mm-hmm. onto his routine and build from there yeah and i thought that was really really interesting yeah yeah it's interesting it's just a very minor observation but amateur golfers have a lot more practice swings than pro golfers absolutely yeah taps into that I think Mm. I'll move us on a little bit because we talk about golf all day well I could for sure (laughs) if you were to kind of give advice to a younger self what what sort of things kind of spring to mind there for us to ask you that I think I'd have tried to take the pressure off when I wasn't in the team Mm -hmm. I think that was the big thing for me massive thing that like looking back now I really wish I wouldn't retrospectively I would have changed mm-hmm. I would have never changed the pressure I put on myself to score goals because I think that was actually my motivation that was what dri- drove me that was my I describe it as my why mm-hmm. that was why I wanted to play football that was why I did everything I could to sac- made the sacrifices was to just score goals in front of crowds mm-hmm. you know that's all I wanted to ever do as a kid and I was lucky, fortunate enough to do it and that's what kind of kept me motivated every day to, mm-hmm. to go into football and to carry on doing it mm-hmm. but the pressure I put on myself when I wasn't in the team that was a very, very different, I think it was partly my ego. I think it was part of my, my ego was actually getting in the way in the sense of like that I know what I can do. Why is this manager not, or this coach or this football club, why are they not putting me in the team? Why are they not playing me? Mm-hmm. And I would put so much pressure on myself. I'd, you know, I'd overthink it and I'd think, okay, I must be doing this wrong. I must be doing that wrong. I mustn't be doing this, whatever. So I think looking back now, retrospectively, that's what I'd change. Yeah. I'd say, okay, if you're not in the team, well, you know what? Sometimes there's things you can't control. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the, the controllables, <laughs> I can't control. If this manager wants to go with someone else, I can't control that. That's not my, that's not my fault in mm-hmm. a way. I can do my best and keep trying to improve and be the the player that this manager wants. But if he doesn't want me to, if he doesn't like me, shall I say? There's only certain certain amount I do. I can't make someone blame me, mm-hmm. you know. And I think I spent a lot of time throughout my career thinking that I could, mm-hmm. thinking that I can change this guy's mind, and I'd be hopeful. And then a Friday'd come, and I wouldn't be in the team. I'd be devastated every week, mm-hmm. and it was like I really that was where I struggled most within my career. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'd change if I could. Yeah. You heard control there, Paul. So I thought you might want to come back in <laughs> the controllables. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's a it's a topic that's come up in many of yeah. our. Of, of our interviews Matt Smith Matt Jarvis Meg Baldwin and I think they felt a lot of control from their preparation mm. which I think is what you've also said mm. in, in this session today so final question from me if you don't mind can you talk to us a little bit about what you're going to do in the future because you recently retired from the professional game and you've got some link ups with Sporting Chance mm-hmm. so can you uh, can you fill us in on that a little bit yeah, so I'm currently training to be a psychotherapist. I think that's come from my own kind of experience within football of not so much the the performance kind of side of things, but from the well-being side of things and the link how well-being is, is linked to performance. I look back at myself and my kind of best moments in my career were always when I was in a good place mentally and my well-being was at a good level. 
and just as I was saying, there's not enough kind of performance side of um, psychology within the industry. There's not enough kind of well-being focus either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've worked with therapists throughout my career and that kind of gave me a passion to want to be one, to be a therapist, to kind of go back, work with players that are struggling currently, work with ex-players that are struggling with a transition, mm-hmm. struggle work with young players who are still trying to pave a way in the game and, and, and learn it, you know, and try and be as supportive to them and their journey as possible because I know that I wish I would have utilised that more throughout my career. It took me probably getting into my late 20s before I, I really understood that side of things. If I can kind of put my football experience together with the kind of qualifications, you know, that gives me a, quite a USP to to players that are struggling at the moment. So that's where my passion is. I've got another two years left of my, my diploma. After that, I'll, I'll be qualified and, and hopefully just out in the into a brand new industry, really. It's, it's quite exciting. I'm, I'm excited about it. Well, another theme that's come through from today is this sense of having a why, a purpose. Mm. So it seems like now that's moved from putting the ball in the back of the net to helping other people learn how to put the ball in the back of the net well. Absolutely, yeah. That's a, that, that's a big, big thing for me, especially now. That's what kind of retirement really made me consider was, you know, firstly, who am I? Like, what is it that gets me going? What's my triggers? Like, what's what do I like? What do I dislike? Really kind of like building that self-awareness, but also learning my why and learning like, what what is it that I need to keep, to give me a drive, to give me a motivation? You're right, it was always scoring goals, but I can't do that anymore. <laughs> so, like, you know, I could go to a park and do it, but that doesn't give me the same <laughs> fulfilment. I need a crowd, is, is what, yeah. what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but no, I've, I've found a real passion in kind of working with other footballers that are still trying to navigate themselves their ways and to give them the best possible chance of having a, a successful career I mean whilst I was at Oxford I wasn't playing as much as I would have wanted to and one of the best things I can take from my time at Oxford is that like I spent a lot of time with young aspiring p- players that had real potential mm-hmm. but that were playing in League One with with Oxford and it was thinking right well I'd love nothing more than to see these succeed get get big moves and there was a couple of players that went on to get big moves and probably earning millions now playing in the Premier League or pre- playing in the Championship that I think I'm not taking complete and utter kind of credit for that it was them but I'd like to think that I helped them in some way and that maybe I gave them maybe one piece of advice or gave them that one time where they needed a shoulder or then you know to, to speak to or an ear to speak to you know I can take a lot of pride from that thinking that I'm yeah, I helped somebody to to further their career, and that is a passion now, and that is something that I'm really working towards. Brilliant. Yeah, I think that's a big message from today about knowing what your values are, staying true to them, and and following them. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to thank you today, first of all for coming in, but also for the way you've been so candid, open, on and honest. And I think what I've taken from that is how important a routine is mm-hmm. before whether it's a golf tournament, a putt within a golf tournament, an important football match, this keeps things simple. Mm. And I found it fascinating to to listen to what you did in the dressing room those 10 minutes before. You you wanted to keep things simple. Mm. So that's, that's a big takeaway from me today. And I think finally, the fact that you relished the responsibility of being the main man 
been expected to score the goals, that brought you to another level. I think mm. that's fair to say. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing all your stories. Thank you, Professor Matt Slater, as well, for your contributions today. Thank you. And hopefully uh, we can do a second episode with you in the future, maybe. Absolutely. I'd love to. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Sam. No problem. Sports Social Podcast Network.